not the women. We need the men to get the training so that they know how to deal with women in the workplace, because I feel like that's what's holding back women in tech right now and women in so many areas. This is Women Killing It. Each week, women who are killing it in their career share their stories and advice for making it in today's working world. Your host is Sally Hubbard. Today, I'm here with Kim Z. Dale. She's a playwright with a master's degree in information security. Kim, you are killing it. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Sally. Thanks for coming on the show. So I want to hear all about your career path and all of your current projects. So a playwright with a master's degree in information security seems like two completely different things, which is what my own career looks like. So I have a feeling that we're, we're kind of cut from the same cloth. I'm excited to hear about everything you've got going. So could you first um, talk about what do you do with information security? What is your current job and what is your degree about? My current job is I'm an information security and IT audit specialist at the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago. And this is an outcropping of a degree I got in 2005 from Carnegie Mellon University that was a master's in information security policy and management. So it's a little bit of a unique take on information security. A lot of information security people are engineers. I am not. I'm more on the policy and implementation side. You're also a writer, but you write a whole lot of different things, right? You're a playwright, but you do other kind of writing as well. Could you talk also about what kind of writing you do? Sure. So I, in my heart, I am a playwright, but that is something that I've had less and less time for since becoming a mother. So I was looking for another creative outlet that I might be able to do in smaller chunks of time. So for the last five years, I've been blogging for a website called Chicago Now, uh, which is part of Tronk and the Chicago Tribune company. And uh, there, my blog basically reflects my life. It is eclectic. Sometimes it's about security and IT stuff. Sometimes it's about theater. Sometimes it's about parenting. Sometimes it's about whatever comes into my brain. Uh, In addition to that, I have done some freelance writing, and I do still try to do some playwriting. I actually, this past weekend, was in Pittsburgh where they were performing one of my short plays. But they do tend to be short plays now because it's hard to find a chunk of time to write a full length. I mean, you're working as an information security and data privacy specialist, and you have children, and you don't have time to write plays? Come on, Kim. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I really need to work it out. I recently did one of those exercises where you're supposed to write down how you spend all your time, and the idea is supposed to be at the end, you find this stuff that you were wasting your time on, and that's where you can find the additional time to do more. But my problem is I do so many things and have so many hobbies that I looked at it and said, no, I, I like how I spent my time here. I just need more time. <laughs> You know, that is exactly the situation that I'm in. And I, we, we, you and I need to have like a mutual therapy session or something <laughs> because I actually spent all day today writing and researching about um, data privacy, actually, 
<laughs> my day job is as a antitrust investigative journalist, but I've been looking at some privacy regulations that are happening in the EU regarding data. So funny enough, I was doing that all day today. And now here we are. It's an evening. We're having our podcast interview. And it's the same with me. People say to prioritize or to pick one thing or the other, but there's just so many things that I want to do. And I'm really not wasting time like you. I'm really not. (laughs) Do you find that you get overwhelmed with everything you've taken on? Or do you feel that it energizes you to be doing, nurturing all the different sides of you? Occasionally, it's overwhelming because occasionally I do take on a little too much. But for the most part, it's invigorating. This is what I realized I like. Uh, You know, when many years when I started my career, I assumed that my goal was to be some sort of C-suite executive because my undergraduate degree is in business and that's what you're supposed to do with that. But over time, I realized I have these other interests and I like being able to pursue them. And for me, I found I can have a career that is interesting and challenging, but that still, for the most part, lets me go home at five and do these other things. And that is more important to me than the fancier title or, you know, the big office. So you also, on your blog, wrote this great blog post about the training that women in tech really need. And I would love for you to talk a little bit about that because I thought it was such a great post. Oh, thank you. It was inspired by a women in tech event I had gone to. And I like to go to those events because I do like to network with other women in my field. Um, I've been in the field for over 20 years and I have seen more women come in, but, you know, we still tend to be in the minority And so I I like to go for those reasons. But what I find very frustrating is a lot of the women in tech events I go to, they're not tech professional training. They're providing assertiveness training and negotiation training and how to take control of your career and things like that, with the assumption being that women in tech inherently are not assertive and not happy with their careers. And certainly... I'm sure there are women who need that. Actually, I go to these events and some women are, you know, say after sessions, oh, that was really great. But the majority of women I know who've been working in tech, particularly for any amount of time that's significant, they tend to be confident. They tend to be happy with where their career is going. We don't need cheerleaders telling us that we're great. We, we're looking for actual training. And so I find that very frustrating. I was actually one of these, they literally told us to dress pretty and to learn about sports so we could talk to our male colleagues. And that's not what I want. Um, Are you serious? That was the training? Yes, that was part of the training so we could get where we want to go. And what I got to in the post is what the real training is we need everybody else to get training, not the women. We need the men to get the training so that they know how to deal with women in the workplace because I feel like that's what's holding back women in tech right now and women in so many areas is not so much the women It's the rest of the people around us who don't think we're good enough or assume that we're not assertive um, or assume that the moment we get pregnant, we're going to quit and things of that nature. And so that's the, the training that women in tech need is for the dudes to understand that we are just as good and that if we're nice to them, it's not because we want to sleep with them. 
it's just because we're being nice. And if we're not nice to them, it's not because we're bitches. It's just because we probably don't like them. <laughs> but uh, these are the sort of things that we need, not so much a cheerleader telling us, oh, women can be just as good, because most of us know that women can be just as good. And this is something that I kind of struggle with a lot on this podcast, because what I have done with this podcast, there was a couple different goals. One was I wanted to celebrate successful women and put their stories out there so we could see them as role models and also just have that as part of the conversation, right? Um, Look at all these amazing things that these women are doing. But the other thing was I did want to create a playbook for what works for women at work because I found that when all the news was coming out about the gender pay gap, all the news was blaming women saying, well, you don't negotiate, you don't ask for more and all this kind of stuff. But we know that if we just kind of do what the men do, that doesn't work for us either, right? So (laughs) I wanted to find out from women, you know, I started off with women that I knew what worked for them at work, like how they had gotten where they were, and to create a playbook for what works for women. And that has been really helpful even for me. My own career has just taken off actually a lot since I've been listening to all this advice. But it is doing what you're saying in a way. It's putting the onus on us to improve our situation, right? And I would much rather have the system itself change or have men be getting training on how to uh, give the opportunities equally and and see beyond their kind of um, and bias, whether it's conscious or subconscious. But it's kind of like we need to do everything, right? Like we don't need to put a total the onus totally on women, but... For me, when I felt like, well, the system is not going to change in time for my career, and I don't know if these men's views are going to change in time for my career, I'm trying to work within the existing system. But it is that problem, right? Like it shouldn't be, the onus shouldn't be on us to change how we're doing things. Well, and even when the onus is on us, I feel like sometimes we just can't win. Uh, An example that I have is when I started out in my career, I was told, you don't talk enough in meetings. Uh, And so I really started forcing myself to talk in meetings and I would prep and I would have, you know, at least that one thing that I was going to say, well, that got me more comfortable talking in meetings. And also as I became more experienced and more confident, I was more comfortable talking in meetings. And recently I've been getting feedback. You talk too much in meetings. You need to give other people more of an opportunity to to talk. And it's like, well, what do you want from me? (laughs) I honestly cannot imagine that that feedback has ever been given to a man. Yeah. (laughs) Do you think any any male employee has ever been told he talks too much in meetings? I I can't imagine. (laughs) You've got a lot on your plate. You're doing your writing, your playwriting, your blogging, your um, information security and data privacy work. Of everything that you've done, are there any career highlights that stand out in your mind of things that you're particularly proud of? Well, I have a, I have a few different things because I have a few different parts of my life. So in, in playwriting, one of my first plays as a grown-up, you know, not something I just wrote in college, it, it won a playwriting award at the Pittsburgh New Works Festival and then it won a, a few other awards at a few other festivals. And so that is always sort of my rock. And it was the encouragement to say, oh, gosh, you can do this. 
And because prior to that, I'd mostly been acting and directing, and I wrote mostly short stories. And this was bringing together my writing and my theater. And I learned that I actually liked playwriting even more than being on stage. As far as career-wise, I'm really the happiest I've been in my career right now. And I just feel like uh, this current role uh, really fits me well, and I feel very appreciated, uh, which is something that in some of my previous jobs, even if I thought I was doing well, I don't know whether they actually appreciated me or not, but I just didn't feel it, and that can be very demoralizing. With a job in information security and data privacy, is that something that you also enjoy equally with your writing, or is it something that you still pursue because you have bills to pay and it's a it's a better way to cover your expenses. I I definitely enjoy it on its on its own merits. If I suddenly won the lottery, I might have a slightly different version of the job that was more pro bono and, you know, possibly based in Hawaii, but I I am legitimately very interested in information security and data privacy. I've always been interested in computers since I was a kid. Um, my parents were people who loved gadgets. So very early in the world of personal computers, we had one and I learned how to program. And then as I was working, I had been in my career about 10 years just doing software development and project management. And I was looking for a change, but not too much of a change because I really liked IT, but I was getting a little bored with what I was doing. And I saw that Carnegie Mellon was offering a brand new program. So I was part of the first class in information security policy. And that just sounded like a good enhancement to the knowledge and experience I already had. And uh, it's just an aspect of IT that I find really interesting and really significant because it impacts us all more and more every day. So even outside my job, I answer people's questions about their phone privacy and their computers and, you know, should I buy Alexa, you know, and all these different uh, Internet of Things things. Uh, and I try to help people out because the problem is most people don't have a master's degree in information security, yet they're using all these things every day that can have severe security and privacy implications. We're going to have to talk um, offline. We're going to have to talk off off the air about our day jobs because I, um, I, I also, I just wrote a blog post for Forbes about privacy. Um, and it's an issue that I care a lot about too, but I don't have any IT policy know-how. But I selfishly was asking you about whether you still are passionate about your day job because I think it's my own... I'm working through my own issues where I feel like I'm two completely different people. Like during the day, I'm super interested in my job, looking at antitrust, also policy and tech giants and competition. And then I have this whole other you know, side of me that's doing the podcasting and working on women's issues. And I think it confuses people from the outside. Like if you look at my LinkedIn feed or my Twitter feed, it's like antitrust, then a woman's issue. Then I, you know, like it's so. I think it people think I'm crazy, and they think, okay, you just pick one. But I really want to do both. So that's why I was selfishly asking you that to see if you are like me in that way. Well, and it sounds like you yeah, are. Yeah, very, very much so. It 
and sometimes it's isolating and I, I love meeting women like you who are of the same way because I know that sometimes when I talk to other working mothers, it feels like a lot of them are in this, well, you know, I only work because I have to pay for my kids and um, otherwise I would just love to stay home and I love my kids, but... I'm, I need this other outlet for me, and like I said, if I won the lottery tomorrow, I might do a different sort of job, but I would definitely still be doing some sort of outside of the work, outside of the home work, probably involving information security and privacy, just because I love it. Yeah, I mean, this is a lesson that was taught back in the 60s with Betty Friedan, and she wrote The Feminine Mystique. Like Most women, I, mo- some women enjoy being home all the time, but most women really don't, you know? I feel like we feel this pressure to, um, or pressure, you know, society puts this vaulted role of motherhood as, you know, up on this pedestal. But most women do like to play in, as as Samantha Edis, who I had on this show, said, all the slices of life, all the, all the, she said, life is a pie and the best life is a messy, like a big messy pie. And you're having all the different slices of it. Um, and I, I feel like this was a lesson that, you know, the, the feminists of the 60s figured it out pretty quickly. And I don't know how it's gotten lost, but sure, there are some women who enjoy being home, but I think most do not. I mean, I personally got into a deep, dark depression on both my femini- both of my uh, maternity leaves. So <laughs> I went back to work and I was like, oh, I'm happy again. Okay, that was the problem. <laughs> I do, I, so, yeah. I did a storytelling show called Listen to Your Mother that I don't know if you've heard of. It was in a bunch of cities, although it ended last year. Um, And it was people telling stories about motherhood. Not everyone was a mother. Some of the people were men talking about their mothers. It was a lot of different things. But I talked about my role as a working mother and my sort of guilt feelings about getting a nanny but it it goes to what you're saying is like some women like those things. And that's, these are women who become kindergarten teachers and nannies. And one of the things that I said in that story was when you talk about giving this role to someone else in the world of motherhood, people call it letting someone else raise your children. But as a project management, I always used to call it delegating. So. Right. Right. You know, my, you know, my, my childcare, they, they often have skills that I don't have that often involves crafts. That's not my thing, crafts. <laughs> oh, man, I'm terrible at crafts. Even my husband is way better at crafts than me. And, and we have a neighbor that likes to do crafts. And every time they want to do it, I'm like, yes, someone else do crafts because I just hate crafts so much. Uh, and there's other people who love crafts. I mean, I know women who just love them. <laughs> well, okay. we, we all love different things. I, I know that most of those women probably would not want to do the data analysis that I do all day, but we're just different folks and there's room in the world for all of us. Well, I had recently on this show, uh, Suzanne Todd, who is a producer of the Bad Moms movies. Mm-hmm. And she said that the best mom is a happy mom. And I think that is completely true. Amen. So we just have to do what we what make what makes us happy, right? Yes. You've been in a male dominated field in, in tech. What are some lessons that you've learned as you've made your way um, through your various positions? So I I started out 
in a triple male-dominated position. I was in IT for the logistics department of a steel company. So I could could be (laughs) in a, a room full of 60 people, and maybe there'd be one other woman in it. And then over time, there became more women in IT, and then I went into information security, which then has fewer women in it than standard IT. So it's definitely something I've experienced. And I'll say early in my career, you know, I put up with the snide comments and things like that because I was mostly seeing there there are some benefits. For example, if you're a white guy named Dave or Steve who's new to the IT department, people are never going to remember who you are. But if you're the one woman, oh, everyone knows who you are. Uh, so, you know, that's sort of getting your name out there and being recognized. It's really great for that, but it can be really isolating. Um, you also get the situation where people, you know, aren't sure how nice to be to you because, you know, they don't want to be flirting or they are flirting and you don't want them to be flirting. And, you know, you the whole thing, you know, that's been in the news recently with Mike Pence about he doesn't go to lunch or dinner with women colleagues. Well, that's, that's how you get to know people that you work with is by hanging out with them. Um, and I feel that there are all these expectations about men and women that even sometimes when I know that my male colleague is cool with it and I'm cool with it, there still feels like there's this umbrella hanging over it of are other people going to think that there's something going on when we go out to lunch. You know, so those are those are frustrating things. And as far as how I've navigated it, you know, I I feel like I've been quite lucky because I I have some bad icky stories in there, but for the most part, I've worked with men who I felt were very supportive of me and, you know, just as a colleague and who largely did not treat me differently in, you know, maybe for some of these going out occasions, but in the office, we were all equals and I feel very lucky for that. But I know that that's not um, what all women experience. And I've been trying to get more involved and more active uh, now because I, I hate the fact that 20 years later, people are dealing with the same stuff or worse than I was when I started out in my career. Yeah, there, there's this feeling of not a lot of progress recently, isn't there? I mean, <laughs> I was at the Women's March with my mother and she was wearing the pins that she wore, you know, marching in the 70s. And it's like, oh, my goodness, we're still we're still fighting for the same things. Um, but that whole Mike Pence thing, I have to say, really gets me quite angry because if every man adopted that policy that would that they don't dine with female colleagues or business associates that would be a huge 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 disadvantage to women in business you know when when men still occupy the top positions and are the ones we need to be making business deals with or getting opportunities from you know to cut women out of the interacting with them it's funny i actually go out to lunch all the time with with a male colleague and never think anything of it i wonder if it's because i live in the brook the brooklyn bubble yeah well i i certainly have those relationships too and i've gotten more and and over the years i think it's gotten better but i feel it it's particularly with a new colleague 
there's there's this traversal that happens that doesn't tend to happen with female colleagues of okay are you cool with this are you okay with this you're doing if if, if I ask you out for for drinks it's just because we're working on this thing and now you know that's something you do after you had a hard day at work not because anything you know um, right but then once you get to know like no 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 we just all work together and respect each other I, I think it becomes easier. Um, the longer you've known somebody. And once you have that, you know, I like to think that once they have respect for you as a colleague, that those other, you know, those other pieces uh, start to start to fall away. I know that's not always true, but um, but I think it, it helps a lot when they stop seeing you as a woman and start seeing you just as somebody they work with. Yeah, definitely. What are some things that you know now that you wish you would have known when you started your career? I guess the one thing that I figured out fairly early in my career, um, but maybe maybe I could have even done better had I had I figured it out sooner, was I started as a computer programmer because that's what you do when you major in IT, and I enjoyed it on some level. I liked making things. It's you know it's a very well, it's not fully tangible. It's still in the computer, but you can you write your code, and then this there's this thing that works, ideally, usually after a few failures. Uh, and you can say, look, I did that. And that's very nice, but I didn't like being trapped behind the computer all the time. And technology changes all the time. And so after I was forced to learn my fourth or fifth programming language, and I realized that these things are always changing, and the best people at it were those people who love spending their whole evening writing code, but clearly I'm doing other things in the evening. I learned that there was this world uh, in between the techies and the system users. Uh, I started, my first role like that was this liaison role where I would sort of translate what the business area needed to the people developing the software. And then when the software got developed, I would train the users how to use it. And I lived in that middle ground. And being an audit now is also a sort of middle ground where I live in between. And I get to embrace my knowledge and love of technology and information security but I don't have to be an engineer who lives it and and creates it all the time. I get to go out and talk to people and train people and write things and do those other pieces of it uh, that the really hardcore engineers don't frequently do often because they don't want to. So that was just sort of a career path that I didn't think of. I thought, you know, you're working in IT, you've got to be a coder. It's funny, I um, also recently on this podcast had Crystal Johnson, who's very high up at NASA, and she was talking about how she had the whole engineering chops, but then she really liked to um, be involved in the policy side and dealing with people. And this seems like this really unique skill set that women have that at least, you know, typically there's been all these stereotypes about engineers and techie people that they can't communicate well or aren't good at writing or policy sides of things. So feels like this might be some real special talent that women engineers have. 
to be able to go between both of those worlds, to be able to use both sides of the brain. We should be maximizing this. I, I like to think so, although as I started to head down this direction, there was some guilt about it because there are the stereotypes that women aren't as good at tech. So uh, particularly when I was getting my master's degree, we would take these policy classes and we'd take these privacy classes and we would take engineering classes. And although I didn't enjoy the engineering classes as well, I worked my butt off because I needed to show my male colleagues, because there were only two women in this program, uh, I needed to show them that I could do this, that I wasn't making a decision to go down this sort of soft skills route because I couldn't do the engineering. I had to prove to them that it was a choice. Um, I don't know if they cared, but it was a it was a bit of self-confidence building that I needed to do for myself just to prove that, no, it's not because I can't be an engineer. I just choose not to do that. And certainly, I know a lot of really good women engineers, too. Again, much like being the stay-at-home mom, it's just not my personal thing. And the fact that you understood the engineering, though, has got to be a huge asset as you work on the policy issues compared to someone who doesn't understand the technical side of things. I like to think so. Um, and I try to apply it and I try to stay you know, up to date enough so that I can remain relevant. I think the biggest asset to having that background is it gives me some street cred with the current engineers. Uh, and then I can lean on them when I do need some additional technical knowledge that I don't have. And I want to hear also about your writing career a little bit more. The um, play that you said you won an award for, could you tell us what that play was about and what inspired you to, to write it? So uh, where I got into playwriting, I'd, I'd written some plays in, in college and I've done theater for as long as I've done computers. Uh, ever since I was little. And what happened was when I got into the master's degree program at Carnegie Mellon, there were a bunch of evening classes that I needed, and so you couldn't schedule around them. And at the time, I was acting or directing in between three and sometimes five or six shows a year, and I wasn't going to be able to keep doing that. I actually had to back out of a show I'd been cast in, but I still, I have this creative side to me and I needed an outlet. And one of the theaters that I worked with regularly had a playwriting contest. And I thought, well, you know, I, I write fiction, I'll, I'll try that. And so I tried it and it got selected. And I really enjoyed the process of, you know, seeing my words come to life. And I have my blog that I also love, and uh, my my community manager has been very supportive of me in letting me write all sorts of things on there, even though they aren't necessarily the most marketable. So I I said I write about tech, and you you mentioned the thing about training for women in tech, and so sometimes I have these serious essays, but sometimes I write fiction and poetry, and I just use it as my outlet for whatever needs to come out of me. And the nice thing about blogging is sometimes I can even just do it in my phone on the train during my commute. Wow. So that's how you get it all done. You're, you're writing your articles on your phone and on during commuting. Sometimes, <laughs> not all of them, but you know, if, if the idea strikes me. Why wait? When did you start writing fiction? 
I don't even remember. So that was something I'd written through, you know, my adolescence. I actually, I'm probably one of the few people who got an IT degree that was partially funded by a creative writing scholarship. You know, I've always been eclectic and, you know, my hobbies and my job now are a little different than what my hobbies and jobs have been in the past, but I've always had these multiple sides to me. And I'm meeting more and more people, you know, including yourself who have these multiple sides. And I'm starting to think, you know, the people who say this is so unique are, those are the unique people. Because I do occasionally get, you know, when I'm interviewing for jobs, if I, I do throw in some of the side stuff on there for interest, and people say, oh, you know, that's so interesting. But then I meet all these other people who say, oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a singer in the nighttime, or, oh, I do art, or, oh, I play hockey, or, you know, and I think the majority of people have multiple sides to them, and it's probably better if we stop looking at people as being just one thing. Yeah, I think we all have sides, multiple sides. I think the sad reality is that a lot of people get so tied up in the mandatory obligations of their life that they lose touch with those sides that nourish them. Um, I know that happened to me, to be honest, when I was had little children, when my kids were very young and I was working a lot. And I didn't really feel like I had any time to nourish myself. Um, and it was really only after my children got a lot older, a little bit older that I started to reclaim little bits of myself. <laughs> but I think, um, you know, I have a, I have a challenge on this podcast, the find your joy challenge, where I tell people to do something that just brings you pure joy, not for any other reason, not to please anybody else, work it into your schedule to get back in touch with yourself. So many people just spend all their time pleasing everybody else, especially women, um, you know, pleasing their bosses, pleasing their family, pleasing their their partners or children, and lose track of those things that really nourish them and bring them pure joy or pleasure. So I think people can get disconnected from those other sides of themselves, especially when, you know, they have a demanding job that kind of is focused on one small aspect of who they are. Very true. And certainly, I, I have slowed down at different times in my life. Are there any mentors who've influenced you that you'd like to uh, mention on this episode? Sure. You, you want me to mention by name? Or <laughs> well, no, it's up to you. I mean, did you ha have you had so have you had mentors who influenced you in your career path? I I definitely have not formal mentors. So I've tried formal mentoring programs, and they always felt just a little forced. Uh, so the people I've learned the most from have just been people who I've encountered and gotten to know and learned from. And uh, there was a woman named Paige who I worked at, with in, in my first job, and she, you know, she went before me, actually, I got one of her jobs when she got promoted. So she was literally ahead of me and she tended to give me a lot of advice. She was a former Marine. So she knew a lot about being a, a woman in a male dominated field. And one of the most interesting pieces of advice I got from her that I often share with people is a counterintuitive one. She told me not to let myself become essential, which sounds very weird, but the logic behind it is that 
a lot of people hoard knowledge because they think that if they're the only expert, that that's what makes them successful and important. But that's also very limiting. So if, for example, you want to go back to school or you want to do a special project or you just want to go on vacation and not have to take your cell phone, your boss might not support you because they need you too much because you're the only one who knows what you know. But if, on the other hand, you cross-train people and you make good documentation about how you do your job, it's a lot harder for your boss to argue that they can't be without you for a few weeks or a few months when these opportunities arrive. And if you do what you do well, people will still value you, even if they can get along without you. And at the time that she told me this, this seemed a little crazy, although it was part of why she had been able to move on to a, a different job. Even though she had only been in her current position for a short period of time, this really amazing position came up and her boss said, whoa, we just, we just got you here. What, do, you know, what are we going to do? And she said, no, it's fine because you know, I've taught Kim this thing. I've taught this other person this other thing and they can take care of it. And I've taken it to heart and it has allowed me to take on a number of special projects or to get transfers um, without you know, getting anybody too angry at me and burning bridges because I left the, the places where I had been working in very good shape. That's really interesting. I've actually not gotten that exact advice on this show yet. And it's very, I think it seems like it's the flip side of a bit of advice that I have heard a lot of, which is just making sure that you don't take everything on yourself and that you delegate, right? Because um, you can just focus on the thing that you're really good at and use other people to help you with the other things that are maybe not your greatest strength. And then also to stop yourself from being overwhelmed by a lot of tasks that you do not need to be doing, you can be delegating them. But this is a different kind of side of that, of not allowing yourself to be essential. And um, that's very interesting. And I have, I have not yet heard that. I have not yet heard of that. So providing you with something unique. It's, I mean, it, it does seem strange, but I've seen it work and it's never hurt me. I, I did get laid off during the dot-com bubble, but that was pretty much everyone got laid off. It wasn't laid off because I had redundancy. It was laid off because there was no business. Um, but for the most part, I've never felt like I wasn't valued because I was sharing information. In fact, I found that uh, most people value you more if you're trying to share the wealth, particularly if it's interesting work. I suppose if you're doing work no one wants to do, uh, that's a different scenario, but I find that particularly with information security work, a lot of people who may not have that specific training, but they're in IT, they're at least a little bit interested in that. So if they're able to get pulled in a bit, they tend to really appreciate it. Yeah, and you're sharing the wealth, right? And you're and you're bringing other people into the fold. But that's that's great advice. Don't let yourself be essential. So we'll add that to the <laughs> repertoire of all of the advice that we've heard. 
Um, well, Kim, it has been such an interesting uh, conversation and makes me feel better about the insanity that is my life of, of chaos, of antitrust and women's issues, <laughs> women killing it and antitrust policy. And to know that you are writing plays and doing data security makes me feel a little bit more normal. <laughs> so <laughs> if there's such a thing. So for our listeners to follow your blog, where should they go on the web? The easiest way to get there is to chicagonow.com and you can search for Kim Z. Dale or Listing Beyond 40. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to our podcast, rate and review us on iTunes, and most importantly, tell a friend about us. Thanks for joining us. 